This is Kate from the Blob of the Hut podcast. Hi, this is Arjuna Gonzalez from Peace Island. Uh, uh, hi, it's me, Daniel K from the Daniel K's Let's Plays podcast project. Eric Slater here from Epic Fails of History. Hi everyone, Gabe here from the Every Marvel Movie Ever podcast. This is Troidal Power from the Power Playthroughs podcast. Hi again, it's Matt and Buffalo from Upper Pylon 2, a Star Trek Deep Space Nine podcast. Hello, I am the Robo Gonzalez 9001. Hi, this is Bill from RPG Golden Years. My name's Tyler, and I host the podcast Too Young for This Hit. And these are my thoughts on Star Wars Episode 3 Revenge of the Sith. Star Wars Episode 3 Revenge of the Sith. War. The Republic is crumbling under attacks by the ruthless Sith Lord Count Doku. There are heroes on both sides. Evil is everywhere. In a stunning move, the fiendish droid leader, General Grievous, has swept into the Republic capital and kidnapped Chancellor Palpatine, leader of the Galactic Senate. As the Separatist droid army attempts to flee the besieged capital with their valuable hostage, two Jedi Knights lead a desperate mission to rescue the captive Chancellor. So I guess I should start by apologizing for missing the first two episodes. It wasn't necessarily intentional, although they're probably my least favorite entries in the series. I did have some positive things that I wanted to point out from those movies. But at the same time, it's no coincidence that those are the only two Star Wars movies that I don't own. So Revenge of the Sith. I saw it long after I saw, well I guess everybody did, but I saw it significantly a while after I'd seen the original trilogy, after I'd seen Phantom Menace and Attack of the Clones. And I think the reason for that is because my mom really didn't want me to see it. She she wasn't big into Star Wars stuff, she still isn't, but all she knew was that a bunch of kids get murdered in it, and I think that kind of steered her away from showing it to me. So what I did was I slept over at a friend's house, and his parents didn't care, so we just watched it. And you know what, when those kids got murdered, we thought it was pretty awesome, so what did my mom know? It is one of the very few movies I ever actually went out of my way to watch at the midnight first screening thing. None of that preview screening, uh, day before nonsense. This was line up before you could get all your guaranteed tickets online. You go there around 9 o'clock or whatever. You sit in line at the theater and you're then allowed into there at like 1130 at night. And then you sit there. My experience first watching Revenge of the Sith was opening night. I don't think it was a midnight showing. It was one that was later on in the evening. I remember just being really sad. There was this overwhelming feeling of sadness that this was the last Star Wars movie, or so we thought. Obviously, that would all change down the road. So when episode three first came out, I think I was at the perfect age for this because I was kind of an angsty teenager. This is 2005. Um, so I was, I was like 17, I want to say, but the thing is at the time we all thought we, at the time we all thought that this was going to be the last Star Wars movie, at least for a long, long while. 
so I really embraced it. I ended up seeing this movie, I want to say, f- five times in theaters. And I remember very clearly sitting there, and I'm a huge nerd here, mind you. I had a Star Trek podcast for several years where I was probably on there the most, talked the most, all that kind of stuff. I have Star Wars, Star Trek, model ships everywhere. I was sitting there looking at these people, and there was a bunch of people in like full on Jedi garb with their light up lightsabers going to the front of the theater and having mock lightsaber duels in front of the, I'd say, overwhelming majority of the crowd loving it, digging every moment of it. And I was kind of sitting there going, oh my, what did I get into? Kind of slumping in my seat a little bit. Like, who's going to see me here? It's weird considering this is the most recent of the prequels, but I don't really have any memory of going to see this movie. I'm sure I did see it when it was in theaters because I remember uh, pieces of this movie as if I saw them when it first came out. But yeah, I just have no memory of seeing it in theaters. I didn't see this in 2005 when it came out. The fact is I, I caught episode one in cinemas. I was just the right age for that. Back in 1999, I was nine years old. I was like, shit, man, this is the best. Sababa, pod races, all the uh, ephemeral media, which just floated off this thing like mini asteroids as it comes to land on the popular conscience. All these video games I'm playing, simulating life on Naboo. I'm just, I swear there was a game like that. I haven't seen it since my childhood, but there was, it was like a civilization or, you know, like a, I don't know, like a spore, you know, no, like a, a real-time strategy game about the ecosystem of Naboo and all these Star Wars. Anyway, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, I really ate it up. I bought Lay's chips. I got the Tarzos. I got the cards, the Star Wars cards. Oh, it was great. Darth Maul, lightsabers. Well, then in like 2002, I just didn't see the next one. I think I was just out of that phase. And then in 2005, no, I didn't see that one either. And then I watched them um, a couple years after that. Okay, my experience of first watching the movie. You know, I had slightly higher expectations of this going into it than I did of episode two, mostly because, like, I know this has a higher Rotten Tomatoes rating, so I was sort of cautiously optimistic, since I did like episode two. And, yeah, it's certainly a step up. I did a few things to have sort of a proper movie experience because this time that I watched it was the first time I watched it. I didn't see it in theaters. I didn't see it on like a TV rerun or anything. And I got like a bowl of cheddar popcorn, bottle of Coke, Robo Gonzalez cosplayed as R2-D2. You know it. There you go. It's one of the most quotable Star Wars movies, I think, at least in hindsight, because you have This Is Where the Fun Begins, which is, of course, the first line in the whole movie, and uh, Sith Lords Are My Speciality, and Choice the Pride, Double the Fall. It's a lot of great stuff, especially in those opening ten minutes. That is a rocking opening. That is one of the coolest openings in Star Wars, hands down. Right off the bat, I think we get one of the most memorable sequences in possibly the entire Star Wars franchise. Uh, right off the bat, you get this space battle. Uh, Anakin and Obi-Wan are flying through. There's proto-star destroyers all over the place. They're flying ships that are clearly proto-TIE fighters. So we start off, and we've got the classic Ewan McGregor 
and our good friend Anakin, <laughs> who's played by the terrible actor, <laughs> uh, just flying through space. And Anakin is just showing how good he is at flying spacecraft. <laughs> he is an absolute master. His reactions are second to none. And Obi-Wan, he doesn't really like flying much. And all of this is happening because it turns out that uh, Count Dooku, we've, we've got a villain that carried over. Count Dooku has, uh, has taken Palpatine hostage and uh, there's this huge battle happening above Coruscant. And so you get this cool space battle where Anakin and Obi-Wan are flying around, R2 zapping these little buzz droid things that land on Anakin's ship. I'm usually a pretty positive guy, but I thought I'd talk about a moment I didn't like, because it's something that I haven't liked since I saw the movie first. It stuck out to me as a thing which I didn't like. I know, like, they had a... Probably, like, if, if I was in the right mindset coming into it, or if I'd seen it in the cinema, I would have been more happy with the movie. But, like, you know, there's this negativity which built up around the prequels, which I was probably, like, uh, tuning into when I watched this. And so, one of the first things that happens is there's a big, impressive space battle. You got, uh, what's-his-face? Uh, Obi-Wan Kenobi. And you got a young Anakin Skywalker. They're flying around, and they have this kind of patter between each other. Which is very dry and sardonic and sarcastic and it's like, oh, please watch out when you're, you know, I, I don't know. But uh, so something happens. Missiles are shot. They're in a big war. They're flying their spaceships around. Zoom, zoom, zoom. Bang, bang, bang. Missiles are shot. And then the ma one of the missiles is tracking uh, Obi-Wan Kenobi. And it's right on his tail. He can't shake it and he's trying to get it off. But he's got this kind of... I don't know, calm demeanor, and he's talking to Anakin on his uh, Jedi radio, and they've both got this kind of like deadpan zombie, not really engaged with what's happening demeanor, and it's probably a deliberate move uh, on the part of uh, the director, George Lucas, to have them be like quite divorced from reality and very calm in their mannerisms. But that, coupled with them being sarcastic, it really came across like they weren't taking this seriously, the situation seriously. And, like, none more so when the missile actually caught up with Obi-Wan Kenobi. And by all rights, what should happen, listeners? The thing should explode and kill him, and then he'd be dead. And then, hey, you sarcastic Jedi... Oh yeah, you use all your sarcasm now. You're in tiny pieces floating through space. And your good friend Anakin Skywalker has to be like, Oh my god, no! Obi-Wan Kenobi, you're dead in pieces in front of me. I feel so bad. I feel so bad about all that sarcasm I just said towards you. Oh, you know. But instead of the missile exploding and killing Obi-Wan Kenobi, tiny robots come out of the missile and jump onto the wings of his aeroplane and then they're sarcastic at each other for another five minutes. Whereas if the missile had just exploded, they'd be dead. But instead it's full of tiny robots. Why not have tiny bombs? Just to have it explode like a missile. They hadn't invented missiles yet. They hadn't invented a rocket full of tiny robots that take apart the ship. It just... It just is kind of it had this feeling like they knew it. They weren't really in danger, and that was the the mannerisms that they had and the demeanor that they had was like, oh, this doesn't really matter. We're not in any danger. That missile right behind me isn't actually going to explode. Just a hatch and it's going to pop open, and tiny robots are going to pop out. 
and then my good friend Anakin Skywalker is gonna try and shoot them off me, damaging my ship, and then I have to make a crash landing or something. I'm Obi-Wan Kenobi. I know what's happening because I've read the script and that's why I'm not panicking, even though I'm literally seconds away from exploding into pieces if this was any sane person's missile that has just been shot at me. Instead of a tube full of robots! A what? A tube full of robots. Anyway, that's my point. And we even get a really cheesy moment which kind of breaks from the action where uh, R2-D2 gets to have his own little fight with a weird little droid thing that looks like a, um, a sort of a flying insect <laughs> where he gets to electrocute it. And uh, yeah, it's just really weird. Like <laughs> uh, Obi-Wan Kenobi and Anakin Skywalker just seem to stop their own panic in what they're doing and just go, go on R2, you can do it. Hit him in the middle eye. Go on, go on, hit it, hit it, hit it, R2. And it's like, okay, right now back to this huge battle that we're in. <laughs> <laughs> it's really weird, but it's also a great bit of Star Wars. Anakin's being like total cocky flyboy like he always is, and Obi-Wan's back there going, oh, I hate flying. It's just so fun, and it's dazzling. It's It's got these great colors and great sounds, and there's ships zooming by. There's all kinds of stuff happening. You get a really great feeling for Obi-Wan and Anakin's relationship and how they've become almost as close as brothers and also you really see how Anakin has matured since the last episode one of the coolest things about the movie is that opening space battle sequence it was simply spectacular overwhelmingly with only maybe a couple little bits here and there annoying but from the moment that Star Wars you know title sequence crawl ends to the moment that ship finally comes to a rest on the surface of Coruscant it's all pretty amazing to one degree or another. I did notice there was a lot more greebling in this episode compared to episode one. You remember I said back then it's a lot of smooth surfaces that don't have a whole lot of detail on them. And by contrast, this episode literally starts with war, shit's falling apart, scrap piles, grunge maps, environments that all look just a little bit more like what you see in episodes four through six. like. The ships aren't quite X-Wings, but they look like X-Wings. And there are ships that look like TIE Fighters, but they're not quite TIE Fighters. Uh, whoever did the ship design for this movie was doing a great job of kind of easing into the aesthetic of the original trilogy, and I greatly appreciate that. My favorite ship would probably have to be the Republic-era Star Destroyer. The Imperial Star Destroyer from the original movie is one of the most iconic ships in the entire series. So I always thought it was really awesome to kind of see the predecessor of that, the precursor. The prequels, on the whole, aren't that great, but they did a lot of great work that led them to this gigantic space battle. Where you just throw so much at the screen. I love this example of seeing all this depth to the screen. You have fighting happening kind of at every level. All these various different ships that you can watch on repeat over and over again. And speaking as a spaceship nerd, I just love that element to it. But it's great. It's it's a fun action sequence to open things up. And then it ultimately ends with them like crashing into this proto-star destroyer and landing on the ship and regrouping. And then there's this great conversation where they say like, oh, I sense Dooku. I sense a trap. Well, what do we do next? Spring the trap. I like it. I like that they're just like, let's get into this, man. Um, it it, it kind of shows where uh, where the war is at. Like it's it's a massive war at this point, but 
Anakin and Obi-Wan are kind of in their element. They're ready to fight. They're having fun with the war, which is something we saw from Anakin a little bit last movie, um, but seeing Obi-Wan kind of getting into it is a little bit strange. It's almost like he's being swayed a little bit. One of my favorite quotes is at the beginning of the movie when Anakin and Obi-Wan end up in those ray shield things and Obi-Wan's like, how did this happen? We're smarter than this. And Anakin's like, apparently not. <laughs> These two really had become good friends and that quote just right there makes me chuckle and oh, makes me kind of sad too. I think maybe I'm going to be a bit over generous here, but I'm pretty sure the interactions that we see between Anakin and Obi-Wan here are quite a bit smoother. Maybe it's the time in the role, actors maturing, kind of realizing what they have to do despite George Lucas, whatever. Their interaction felt a bit more natural. It felt real, a bit more real at least, that you can believe now that these two guys have been fighting side by side, they're brothers. And that is something extremely important for this movie. My favorite light side moment, if you want to call it a light side moment, is the fight from the beginning of the film where Anakin and uh, Obi-Wan are trying to rescue Palpatine. Uh, I love the space battle. I love everything when they get in there. I even love how R2-D2 fights those two battle droids with... um, his jetpack, which I know people are like, why does he use the jetpack later? Maybe he's out of fuel and no one knows he needs jetpack fuel. I don't know. But um, yeah, I love all of that. It's so awesome. You know, I like this movie more than Arjuna does because R2-D2 gets so much screen time in it. And so there are several different scenes to pick from for my favorite droid moment. And it's actually pretty hard. But I think it would be the action scene where... R2-D2 has been hiding in the ship that has uh, Count Dooku and General Grievous and Chancellor Palpatine on it. Obi-Wan and Luke have given him a walkie-talkie and he's sort of hiding it inside himself so it doesn't make much noise and so the other droids don't hear him. But eventually they catch him and he splatters them with oil and then takes off and it sets them on fire. He's such a badass. I mean, like, when do we get the spin-off movie that's just about him? Now, the action in this film is just crazy from beginning to end. We get the strange bits in the lift where Anakin cuts away through the roof and then starts going up. Obi-Wan's convinced that R2-D2 will help him out. Uh, it all starts going a bit tits up and then they end up sort of doing like unbelievable parkour maneuvers to try and get through. And um, yeah, eventually they manage to get to the point where they find Senator Palpatine tied up to a chair. It's, it's the Emperor's throne. We know it's the Emperor's Throne, and he's going to sit there and watch Anakin and Dooku have a lightsaber battle, just like he will later watch Anakin and, and uh, Luke Skywalker have uh, a lightsaber battle. A 70-year-old Christopher Lee starts doing Kung Fu as well. <laughs> he does, like, a triple forward flip off of a off of a ledge to come down. And, uh, yeah, he gets to have a little fight with uh, Obi-Wan and our good friend Anakin, where uh, it's quite good. Christopher Lee, you can see, is obviously, most of the time done by body double. Uh, not one of the better lightsaber moments in this film, but it's still pretty good. And Christopher Lee shows his good use of the Force by crushing Obi-Wan Kenobi. And then we get the moment. Another dark side moment for good old Anakin Skywalker. 
there he is. He's cut, he's cut off both of Count Doku's hands. He's completely in immobile. And the senator, Palpatine, is standing there going, Go on, chop his head off. Go on, son. Go on. Do it. Do it. Like, he doesn't want to do it. He knows he shouldn't. Palpatine's, like, whispering in his ear, manipulating him, just being like, Do it. He's got Dooku on his knees, and he's, like, using two lightsabers like scissors to chop his head off. And he's paused, like, do I do this? Do I do this? And Palpatine's like, yes, do it. Give in to your hate. And then he cuts his head off. He murders a guy, a villain, but he murders him. And, yeah, Anakin goes, off of his head. He's like, oh, I shouldn't have done that. <laughs> no, you shouldn't. Stop being a plick. It's like Anakin's really you know he's going down the dark side dude now cutting back to christopher lee here i will say i think it was a little disappointing on my part about his abrupt killing and departure i get that it was a good way of kind of doing some quick work advancing the anakin character in a fairly decent way showing how quickly he can just turn and go to the the killing it's a little bit of a you know it's an obvious uh tease to what you're going to see coming from him but i think it was at the expense of a potentially really interesting character that was kind of underutilized in the process of trying to uh, escape with palpatine uh, kind of end their rescue mission uh, the boys anakin and obi-wan run into uh, general grievous because we've just dispatched dooku and so now suddenly we have to introduce like here's our new hench villain i it's a weird thing in these prequel movies that each one has kind of its own uh hench villain but here's here's grievous he's this big mechanical monstrosity that's <laughs> wheezing all over the place now grievous i think is perfectly satisfactory as a villain a little bit of a cgi mess uh general grievous Amazing design, amazing CGI. And uh, yeah, bloke's got four lightsabers and four arms. Doesn't seem to use them a lot. But I think he's kind of interesting, has a couple tricks up his sleeve that make him at least like, oh, okay, he's easily a pretty clear villain to go after. Mm, somewhere in that line of the Darth Maul, there probably isn't much of a character there, but he is certainly kind of a compelling image, uh, probably a credible threat. You don't get the real tangible, like, this is a real person. He could really kick my butt like Maul. But he has some level of brutality around him, even through the CGI-ness of it, that makes him a little bit credible. And uh, he just he just gets out of there, like, right at the start of the scene. He's like, I'll see you later. <laughs> And he jumps out the window and leaves uh, Anakin and Obi-Wan to fight these, like, laser droids who have these bow staffs. It's it's weird that there's robots that can hold their own against, uh, against a Jedi, but sure, whatever. We'll go with it. As I've mentioned, I think, in every one of these, I'm a real sucker for Coruscant. And here we saw it in a slightly different way, all the way down to the surface, actually. But that upper atmosphere area it's just in this case it's just a backdrop but it's a really spectacular backdrop to have all this amazing action in the foreground and all these different levels this movie is beautiful um, i love all the shots of coruscant where uh, the cars are just like flying in the background all of the cgi in this movie looks great and then at the end of all this sequence after 
Christopher Lee has been taken care of. After they re rescue the Emperor, after they fight uh, the droids, they fight Grievous, you have the crash landing sequence. And here, I think this is where they have now earned a little bit of a over-the-top fun way that kind of fits the ending of this crazy sequence to open this movie. At this point, what, it's been going 20 minutes, something like that? It might be a little bit silly, but really, I have no problem with it. It's a completely appropriate way to end such a bombastic opening of that final just crashing and sliding up to the screen. There were certainly applause uh, <laughs> from the audience at the end of this during my premiere. And shortly after all of the uh, the space battle, we're back on dry land. We get a nice little, you know, father son or brother and brother. You know, the two the two seem to be conflicted as to which is which. Anakin always thinks of Obi Wan as a father, and Anakin always thinks of him as a brother. <laughs> There's a nice little thing about how they seem to be keeping count of how many times Anakin has saved uh, Obi Wan's life. And yep, uh, there there is Mace Windu with his uh, purple side with his purple wand, uh, ready to welcome back everybody and say thank you, Chancellor, and thank you, Anakin, for rescuing him. Here's my I really enjoy that little moment where Obi-Wan and Anakin, they've just taken care of Dooku, and they're back on Coruscant, and Obi-Wan just shows that he's proud of Anakin. They have real human dialogue, which is something that is severely lacking between their relationship in Phantom Menace and Attack of the Clones. There's a huge upgrade in this between that chemistry, and it makes the end of the movie a lot more tragic. After they've crashed the ship back into the planet, uh, saving the day, but destroying a lot of property, it seems like, um, Obi-Wan leaves Anakin to deal with the politicians. Oh, Anakin and Padme are so in love. And this is where we find out that she is pregnant. And oh my god, Anakin's reaction couldn't be any worse. <laughs> it's like, Anakin, the most marvelous things happened. I'm pregnant. He's like, uh, is it mine? <laughs> It's like, no, no, it's not yours. It's bloody, it's the postman's. Come on, Anakin, pull your head out of your ass. Look like you're happy, you miserable old git. Uh, and it turns out now uh, she's pregnant, um, but their, their relationship is still kept totally in secret. Nobody knows they have any kind of relationship, let alone that they're married, uh, let alone beyond that, that, uh, that she's pregnant. And, and he kind of wants to go public with this, and she's like, absolutely not. Um, so that's, that's kind of where their storyline is at at this point. Senator Palpatine uh, calls Anakin to his side to tell him, I want you to be my representative on the Jedi Council. Fully knowing <laughs> that he can't sit on the Jedi Council because he's not a Jedi Master. You know, he's, he's building the mistrust gradually inside Anakin so that he, he slowly begins to mistrust the Jedi. So what happens with Anakin in this movie is... Uh, a bunch of spying. Poor kid. Poor kid is not a spy, and he gets coerced into spying on everybody. So basically, uh, what happens is Palpatine is like, hey, you're like my best buddy, my best friend. I'm going to put you on the Jedi Council, even though I shouldn't really have any control over the Jedi Council. They're going to do it because I say so. And the Jedi Council is like, okay, we're going to put you on the Council, but you're not a master yet, so we're not giving you that rank, even though you're supposed to have to be a master to be on the Council. So we can feel Anakin's angst here. He's feeling left out by the Jedi Council. 
and he feels like he's being pushed to one side and Obi-Wan Kenobi is telling him, you know, you've got to be careful of the Chancellor. We're feeling a bit suspicious of the guy. He's taking a lot of power away from the Senate. You know, it doesn't feel right. He's like, but he's my friend. Yes, Anakin, listen to your bloody Jedi Master. He's trying to tell you your friend might be a dodgy bastard trying to sell you something that you don't really want. And hey, since you're on the council, uh, you know, that Palpatine guy, he sure likes you a lot, but we're a little suspicious of him. So why don't you go spy on him? And then he goes back to Palpatine, and Palpatine's like, I bet the Jedi asked you to spy on me. They don't trust me. They don't trust you. You should spy on them for me. And so poor Anakin's just bouncing back and forth. He doesn't know what he's doing. He doesn't know how to be a spy. He's really set up to fail on this one. Building more and more and more and more and more and more distrust in Anakin of the Jedi, because it's the Jedi always asking him to do things against the code, and the good old Chancellor is right there to point it out. So I bet they asked you as well. We didn't make I bet they asked you, and I bet you didn't think it was right. Against the Jedi Code, all those naughty Jedi, I think they're after me. Have you ever heard the story of Darth Plagueis the Wise? It's not a story the Jedi would tell you, and it's the story of a guy who was able to figure out how to cheat death, how to keep even those he loved from dying. And this all rings really important for Anakin because while Padme now has kids, or, or is pregnant with kids, uh, he started um, having these visions of her dying, just like he had visions of his mother dying. Um, so the idea of being able to keep the people he loved from dying is really uh, important to him at this point. Without a doubt in my mind, we have the best non-action sequence in all the prequels with Anakin here. And it's when he sits down to have a conversation with the man who will soon become the emperor in the opera. Now, this moment where <laughs> uh, Senator Palpatine is, you know, telling Anakin that, you know, I bet the Jedi asked you to spy on me, didn't they? You know, he dismisses his representatives. What the hell is this opera thing they're looking at? It's really off-putting with the crowd just suddenly clapping in the meantime. Whereas it just seems to be a lot of, like, giant scarves floating around going through bubbles. It kind of reminds me of like the opening of Final Fantasy X in the Blips ball games. But yeah, it's just really weird. But it's just like, it looks like an impressive thing, but it looks like it should be an opera type thing where you just sit, watch and enjoy. But all these people are like acting like it's the circus in the background. Going, Ooh. Ooh. Yeah, it's really off-putting. <laughs> just like, be quiet, listen to the music and enjoy the lights. Say, you know, looks like you should be uh, tripping out while you're watching this. Looks good. Now, I think it goes without saying that this movie has a lot of really bad dialogue, but the Emperor definitely has the best lines in the movie. And I think the moment that really stands above the rest is that monologue that Palpatine gives to Anakin about the tragedy of Darth Plagueis. It's pretty clear to us as the audience that he is evil at this point, but it's kind of clever, especially the way that Ian McDermott delivers that scene you get a sense that there's a lot more to this story. And I think it's pretty obvious that he's the one that killed his master, so far as we know. It's this great monologue that is very chilling. And it gives a tremendous amount of insight or potential insight into his character, his motivations. And then also, pretty amazingly, it is providing all the character and motivation for the person he's playing off of and he's not getting much reaction back from him i don't think that's much too small of a feat to show why 
Anakin is going to do everything he does in the second half of this movie here when he barely opens his mouth. So credit where credit's due. I don't often credit George Lucas in these movies for his writing. Here, I think he did a really good job. And Ian McDermott took it and really ran with it. My favorite dark side moment is the opera ballet thing, whatever that is, where Palpatine is subtly seducing Anakin. And I think that whole scene is masterfully played out with Palpatine just manipulating like crazy. And we can just see how he's preying on Anakin. And I think from that point on, it's basically a downhill spiral for Anakin. So yes, I have heard of the tragedy of Darth Plagueis the Wise. Obi-Wan kind of picks up his Detective Obi-Wan storyline from Episode 2, except he doesn't really do much detecting on this one. He just goes to a planet and, hey, there's the bad guy. Now, <laughs> this is probably one of the best bits of the film. Uh, I say that I'm gonna. I'm probably gonna say this is one of the best bits a few times because there's just so much I love in this film. But when Obi Wan Kenobi flies off to whatever outlying system it is that they're talking about to uh, try and track down General Grievous, and he's talking to the guy who he looks like the guy from Hellraiser, but before he's had the pins put in his head, and um, he's like, "Shh, Obi, Obi, Grievous is here. They're holding us hostage. Help us out, mate." Uh, and he drops down amongst like an entire army of battle droids and General Grievous and just like, hey, let's fight. And listen, he should lose this fight because General Grievous should distract him and then a thousand battle droids should shoot him to death. Um, but instead what happens is we get this dope action scene where all the battle droids just stand around and you get Grievous fighting against Obi-Wan and Grievous has four lightsabers and he does this cool windmill attack where he's like spinning the lightsabers around. It's really cool looking. The CG in that fight, the use of the force, the pacing of it, it's all just excellently done. Uh, the close-up on Grievous's face when he says the line, Army or not, you must realize you are doomed. Like, the detail on that mask and the eyes and the, I guess, eyelids or face or whatever you want to call it. As a 3D artist myself, it's the kind of textbook shot that you would pause and just look at for hours and hours just trying to figure out how on earth they did that. So I think General Grievous is probably my favorite villain throughout the prequel trilogy. I know he's doesn't really do that much maybe, but he's got such a cool design and he actually has some like backstory in uh the comics and stuff about like being obsessed with jedis and that's why he has all of those lightsabers and i think that's a that's really interesting um i remember the first time i saw this film i was super disappointed at how quickly he loses his arms but um you know like it was a good lightsaber fight between him and obi-wan kenobi uh, and then from there, uh, at one point, like he's like, ah, oh, have the droids attack, and then the clones show up, and so now it's like full-scale war happening as Grievous and uh, Obi-Wan are fighting, and then Grievous hops onto this weird like unicycle motorcycle thing, where it's like a big wheel that goes around the outside, and he's kind of sitting in the middle. The weird, not really unicycle, but just sort of giant rotating wheel thing that General Grievous uh, tries to escape in during his fight scene with Obi-Wan. It's extremely cool, just like all of the other CG in the movie. 
and Obi-Wan's on a lizard, and they're chasing each other all over the place and having this cool fight scene. He climbs on this gigantic lizard that makes this horrific, horrific noise when you've got your earbuds in on the train at full blast. And you go, Those little lizard things are so cute. And I would love to have one as a pet slash transportation mode. And then he just starts chasing through. There's huge battles going on. There's all these lasers going about. General Grievous whips out his four lightsabers. And they start fighting and battling it out. And then ultimately ends up like, oh no, everyone's disarmed. What's he going to do? And he uses the force to grab a blaster and shoots Grievous in the chest. And just kills him dead. And kind of looks at the blaster and goes, ugh, so uncivilized. And tosses it aside. Uh, the way he dies is interesting i don't know that much about him despite having read a few comics featuring him but he's got those he's got organs in him i, I know he's like an android but i wish they explained that more in the movies oh man it's just an absolute joy to watch obi-wan versus the world you know <laughs> and oh yeah obi-wan has got the world in his hand you know it's just really cool <laughs> i absolutely love it Anakin uh, lets Palpatine know that that Obi-Wan has found Grievous and that that should signal the end of the war. And the Jedi are like, depending on how he reacts, we'll figure out because he should release his emergency powers because because the war is effectively ended. Um, but of course, when Anakin goes and tells him this, then uh, Palpatine's like, oh, did I tell you that I know how to use the Force? And I know how to use the dark side of the Force. My master taught me. And Anakin's like, oh, dang. Oh, dang. Are you a Sith Lord? Um... And then he goes back and he tells uh, Mace Windu this. And now comes the big, big reveal. Darth Sidious reveals himself to Anakin. Anakin whips out his lightsaber. He's like, I should kill you. <laughs> and he's like, mm, mm, oh, mm, no, I should go tell. I should go tell uh, Mr. Purple Wand himself. <laughs> it's just like, why? <laughs> he's just going to say, well, you should probably have killed him. I mean, come on. Come on, Anakin. Obviously, at this point, Anakin's already fully turned his head. He doesn't care about the Jedi. His mind's been poisoned. And yeah, he's, he's just unbelievable. Like, he's just told you, I'm a Sith Lord. You know, I know the ways of the dark side. La 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 la. Just kill him. This is your moment. And you decide, mm, I'll go speak to Mace Windu about it. Just like, use your brain. Um, yeah. And he's like, hey, Palpatine is the Sith Lord. We need to arrest him. I would like to go with you. And Mace Windu's like, no, you can't go with me. You're going to stay here. And he's like, but I really want to go with you. And he's like, nope, you're going to stay here. So Anakin sits out and uh, Mace Windu and a couple other Jedi go to arrest Palpatine. And Palpatine's like, kicks all their butts, basically. You can't talk about the dark side in this movie without talking about that weird scream that Palpatine does when he comes at Mace Windu and Kit Fisto. He's like, ah! And he's like spinning and stuff with his lightsaber out for the first time. And I don't know if that's a good dark side moment, but it's it's interesting. I think people might say that this is over the top, but I think it's kind of to be believed. And I'm not sure I would act too much different if I were an evil, unlimited power person myself. Because putting yourself in his shoes, he's waited a lifetime on this plan. He knows he's strong as hell individually, but he has to put all these 
processes in place for him to control the whole system. And then it works. It works really well. He's winning. And he no longer has to hide that he is so much stronger than everyone else. And I kind of have a theory. I think he did that to himself. I don't think that uh, that that his lightning was like accidentally being reflected and attacking him when Mace Windu confronted him. I think Palpatine was just like, if I'm going to be evil, I'm going to go all out on the evilness and look really evil. So I think he did that to himself. So when he starts going crazy and laughing, fighting Yoda, he knows that he is minimally equal ground and probably going to win if he just holds himself for a little bit longer at any point. So yeah, I completely can see how he would just be cackling and laughing and just having the time of his life because his life's plan has now come to pass and he is winning. And then Mace Windu's got him like up against the wall. He's he's about to defeat him. And that's when Anakin comes in. And all Anakin sees is, look, there's Mace Windu about to murder the, the rightful leader of the Senate. What, what's going on, Mace Windu? He has Palpatine pinned up against the wall. I mean, for one brief shining moment, Mace Windu could have saved the entire galaxy before the Empire took over. But of course, that's sort of the... The focal point of the tragedy here is that that's the moment that Anakin ultimately turns to the dark side. I mean, th this scene's crazy. You know, Palpatine has just revealed himself as Darth Sidious, and he makes quick work of several Jedi Masters back to back. Now, part of that's probably because he completely caught them off guard. That's really one of the big um, failings of the Jedi in this movie is that they were so sure of themselves. They had so much faith that they were on the right side. I mean, because they had won. They never even considered that their apathy is what would be their downfall. And then the Emperor starts shooting lightning at Mace Windu which he deflects with his lightsaber, and it, it deflects back on the Emperor, and oh, it's torturing him, he's in so much pain, help me, Anakin, help me, the Jedi are trying to take over. And then uh, Anakin's like, hey, Mace Windu, we need to arrest this guy, not murder him, because I'll tell you what, I murdered Dooku at the beginning of this movie, and that was a bad decision. That's not the Jedi way. We've got to arrest him. And Mace Windu's like, no, he's too powerful. And then, and then Anakin chops uh, Samuel L. Jackson's hands off. And then the Emperor shocks him a bunch and throws him out the window while screaming, UNLIMITED POWER! And honestly, I think that's a really good message for today. I mean, this is more relevant than when it came out. The Mace Windows of the world can't save the galaxy on their own. Now, there's a theory going around that Mace didn't actually die during that scene. I mean, sure, he got his arm lobbed off, electrocuted, and thrown out a 400-story building, but, I mean, something kind of similar happened to Luke. Here, I think I might work in a little bit of the criticism of the movie, and that's kind of one of the big questions of the whole franchise here. Does the fall of Anakin to the dark side actually work? I think for the most part, it does. And I think it's important here to point out that this is a fantasy movie. Maybe more so than science fiction. Probably more so than science fiction. It says it right in the opening crawl of the movie. A long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. This is a pretty simple kids fantasy thing. So it's very fair to want or see pretty straightforward motivations for your characters here. 
he falls because of love. When he does that first impulsive move, that first really big thing to the dark side here, not those same people. When he strikes at Mace Windu, I think he's striking out of concern for Padme. And seeing this person he's kind of seen as a father figure is one possible way of saving Padme. He's about to be struck down by Mace. I completely see how he could lash out and attack him in that moment and defend the pseudo father figure, the potential savior of Padme. Rise, Darth Vader, and gaze upon my incredibly rigid forehead. <laughs> yeah, he's, his forehead is really rigid. Like, it's his proper Klingon style. <laughs> but, you know, like he hasn't had a lot of sun recently. <laughs> yep, puts his hood up. Thank God for that. We don't have to look at his rigid forehead anymore. And now, now Anakin is Darth Vader. He's gone to the dark side. He's pushed himself to the Emperor. And the Emperor executes Order 66. Order 66. I know it's not directly related to the Sith. I mean, it's a Sith operation, but it's not Sith on Jedi specifically. Although, if we're talking about dark side moments, wiping out all the Jedi, that's a pretty evil task. And it's taken care of really well in a way that I think is extremely impressive and had a lot of effects on the rest of Star Wars history as we know it. In A New Hope, when Obi-Wan talks about, oh, your father fought in the Clone Wars, this is what I think of when I think of the Clone Wars. I think of clones, and I think of the wars, too. I don't, I don't, that must be a name thing, I don't know. My favorite music cue is this dark, ominous turn that the music takes when Anakin and the clones are walking into the Jedi Temple to slaughter the young students and all of the other Jedi in there, and we cut to all of those sequences of Emperor Palpatine ordering Order 66 and the clones turning on the Jedi. This music cue, coupled with the scenes of the clones turning on the Jedi, it's, it's very well done. We see all these Jedi that at least we saw quite a bit of throughout the prequel franchise trilogy here. Yeah, we didn't get much character on really any of them other than Mace Windu, really, and obviously Yoda. But we saw them. They are very distinctive. A lot of very strong character design makes them instantly recognizable. And you start seeing them go down one by one. So at least you identify these characters, if not have great uh, characteristics around them. And then again, so much I'm finding of my goodwill, goodwill towards Star Wars is the diversity and interesting environments that you go to. At least for each one of these killings of them, at least it goes to a pretty cool environment where, you know what? I like to see more of an action sequence there other than these flashes. Yes, so all the clones, the clone armies that have been following the Jedi, the Jedi generals around the world, around the world, around the universe, around the galaxy, uh, start turning on them and killing them all. And they do a very, very good job of it, apart from with Obi-Wan. They sort of like 
shoot a cannon at him. <laughs> he falls off a mountain into a nice body of water. But the important thing is that he survives, and obviously Master Yoda, who is being protected by Chewbacca, uh, manages to chop off the heads of the clone trying to get him, because he can feel it. You know, he's got a widespreading feeling when it comes to the Force. He can feel his friends being killed left, right, and center. So he's ready. He's ready for the attack when it comes. But unfortunately, we see a lot, a lot of murder coming up. And um, yeah, then we get the, uh, the bit with Anakin and the cute little kid. <laughs> he's like, there's too many of them, Master Skywalker. What shall we do? Zoom. Jesus Christ. That's harrowing. <laughs> That little kid, they, they literally pick the cutest little kid to come up and say it as well. Oh, and he flinches. He flinches when the lightsaber comes out. And it's like, oh, God, don't do it. Anymore. Oh, man, it's just, you know, even knowing like the whole turning to the dark side, that bit with Anakin wasn't convincing. That bit with the kids is just horrific. Oh, my God. It, oh, I can feel the bile in my stomach going. It's just not nice at all. Another good dark side moment is um so this movie does a really good job of like cutting between different action beats and so uh there is obi-wan kenobi and yoda come up on some younglings who have been killed by a lightsaber and obi-wan kenobi's like who could have done this and then it cuts to anakin killing people i don't really want to talk about order 66 because it makes me really sad all the clones kill all the jedis and it's really upsetting they had to do this. They had to explain why there were so many Jedi in episodes one and two, and then there's none left by the time you get to New Hope. But it sucks. It, I mean, it's a good scene, but it's 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 gut wrenching. Makes me sad. Like I was saying, though, uh, this whole movie is basically one long dark side moment, which is great. It's probably the reason I like it because it kind of harkens back to the way Empire ended with the heroes ultimately losing. We'll get to that one. But it is a great way of setting the stage for the rest of the series. If I had to pick just one dark side moment, though, I mean, it would have to be the fall of the Jedi, right? Order 66. That whole sequence is so well done. It gets me every time. Even though I've seen this movie more times than I'd like to admit, and even though going in, you kind of knew how it was going to end, it was still kind of rough to watch. I will say, though, my least favorite dark side moment has to be that scene where Anakin corners the younglings. The reason I don't think that was a good choice was because if you're looking at the story arc as a whole in return of the jedi the whole point of that movie is the fact that vader ultimately redeems himself by destroying the emperor and saving his son because there was still good in him but if you make that same character um mass murder a bunch of children it kind of gives it a lot less weight and it feels insincere i mean at least in my book, killing children is kind of irredeemable, so, you know. And I say this is, this to me is pretty critical because this ultimately, I think, to a degree hurts the final effect and redemption that you see in Return of the Jedi. Because in those movies, you know Vader is bad, right? There's no craziness to it, but you don't really get to see the depth of it. Here you see him, effectively see him, slaughter a bunch of younglings. Ugh, I hate that term, younglings. Children. And in my book, and I think in a lot of people's book, slaughtering a bunch of helpless children makes you beyond saving. 
Yeah. That's depressing. Over on Kashyyyk, uh, Yoda manages to survive Order 66 because he's fighting with the Wookiees there, and the Wookiees kind of help protect him from the uh, from the clones. Wookiees! <laughs> Wookiees attack! Uh. <laughs> it is fan service, if we're going to be kind of honest, but at least it's entertaining, I would say, fan service. I don't think it gets bogged down in just like too much winky-wink. How could we shoehorn the Wookiees into the prequels? Uh, let's just send Yoda there to play with Chewbacca for a while. <laughs> um, yeah, really annoying. Like, I kind of felt like they could have done the whole, you know, the Wookiee thing, but they didn't need to have it so that Chewbacca knows Yoda. Like, actually, you know Chewbacca? <laughs> he knows Master Yoda. You know? Hell, that guy's got contacts. You know, I know he just follows Harrison Ford around the universe like a bloody wet blanket, but... Yeah, there we go. The environments that they hit, the sinkhole planet, Kashyyyk, then ultimately Mustafar and some other things. I think the environments here are much more interesting to the eye or just an exciting environment in general than what we saw in Clones of the sterileness or the dusty nonsense of some of the worlds here at least we're going to places that are a little bit more feast for the eyes too for my favorite ship i'm gonna go with padme super sleek chrome silver i don't know what it's called and i didn't look it up <laughs> but you know the one i'm talking about it's got that really cool magic button that she just like presses it and ta-da it does whatever you want it to do so it's just super cool looking and if I had my own ship, I would want one that looked like that. Meanwhile, over on Mustafar, uh, Anakin Skywalker has been sent as Darth Vader to slaughter the leaders of the Separatists um, to end the war. Uh, and he does real good at that. So my favorite quote from this movie is 100%, you have done that yourself. I've said that so many times in my life. And it's because of this movie, and also because there's like an MTV Movie Awards parody that's hilarious. And yeah, it's talking about bathrobes and uh, barbecue sauce. But anyways, in the movie, what happens is Anakin is mad because Padme is like not wanting to deal with him because he's turned to the dark side. And Obi-Wan Kenobi shows up doing like this really cool pose. And Anakin's like, you did this. You turned her against me. And Obi-Wan Kenobi's all, like, really cool, like, no, you've done that yourself. And then you move to the principal lightsaber fight part of the end of the movie. So, a little bit of the bad here. Yeah, it's a little bit cringy when Obi-Wan and Anakin face off against each other on that platform before the fight. The only Sith deal in absolutes isn't too bad. But Anakin's angry turn against falls flat. But the moment they kick off and go after each other, all that is forgotten. Because these two actors are giving it their all. Obi-Wan's like, you were my brother! And they start fighting. And this fight seems pretty dope. I really like uh, the setting of it. Mustafar's like this crazy lava planet. And it's cool to see them flipping around with their blue lightsabers amongst all this red fire and stuff. 
Um, one of the things I like about it is they just seem, there, there's a point where they're both climbing up like this tower and they're just like wildly hacking at each other. And it's like, you realize that in a lightsaber fight, like if you just nick your opponent, you're pretty much gonna win because just nicking them is gonna cut off whatever limb you nick. And at that point, how can they keep fighting? Oh, and my favorite music cue is during the confrontation between Yoda and Darth Sidious. There's sort of this not-so-subtle callback to the music from The Phantom Menace, which is probably one of the best things about that movie. Okay, so for musical cue, Battle of the Heroes. This is what Duel of Fates is to Episode 1, except amped up like a million percent. (laughs) And rightfully so, because this is a major moment in the entire... Skywalker saga and it needed that epic sounding background and Duel of Fates delivers on that and it's just something incredible to behold. As far as dark side on light side goes though for a more climactic type thing the music that plays over the Obi-Wan Anakin battle that fight while some say it goes on too long I still think it's intensely epic and I love it every time i see it it gets a little wacky in parts but i don't mind that i don't mind when they're hovering on lava droids and it leads to a lot of great quotes you get the you were my brother anakin i loved you and all the stuff about sith dealing in absolutes this movie is actually full of great quotes when you really get down to it and then on top of that the really amazing musical score and cues throughout this fight help that quite a bit as well And then, of course, we get to the higher ground scene. Uh, Obi-Wan is standing up a hill, and Anakin's below him, and he's telling him to, to give up, Anakin. You know, I've won. I have the higher ground. And Anakin's like, you underestimate me. And and I think the Jedi are evil, and all this stuff. And Obi-Wan's like, dude, please, please, can we stop this? I don't want to kill you. And Anakin tries to do a dope flip over Obi-Wan Kenobi. And Obi-Wan Kenobi, he nicks him. He nicks him in the legs and cuts off both of his legs, and I think one of his arms at the same time, um, and then ends up having to walk away from someone that he loves so much, uh, and leaving Anakin there to die on the the lava beach of Mustafar. Because of, like, the younglings bleh, killing there, we needed to see him earn that Vader suit and be sufficiently grotesque and stomach churning and i think here it's that right level it's not truly stomach churning but we're seeing him punished in that it's a we're a little torn with that because this is a character we kind of liked i suppose through two and a half movies but we also know he kind of deserves this and i think we get just enough of this you know him being in purgatory now enough for it to be effective but not to be you know i'm watching hostile or human centipede here the emperor shows up to collect anakin from from where he was left to die i also got to give an honorable mention to palpatine's shuttle it's kind of like a proto imperial shuttle but i thought that was kind of a nice touch while uh while Yoda and uh, Obi-Wan and the guy whose name I can't think of, the senator, are all trying to deal with uh, Padme, and, and she's dying. She's lost the will to live, so they have to start surgery to save the babies. 
and then we get this mirror imagery of of the surgery in favor of of good with saving the babies and then the emperor's surgery for evil where he's turning anakin into fully into darth vader by encasing him in the suit and everything um at the end of this you get the the beautiful shot of the helmet coming down and then sealing itself over anakin's face and then you just hear the and oh man he's really darth vader now and Man, I wish the Darth Vader stuff ended there, but instead, no, we get him standing up and looking like Frankenstein and asking where Padme is, and the Emperor tells her, in your anger, you killed her. And then we get, no! Which is just not quite how you want to see Darth Vader. The first, the, here, here he is, here's your first shot of Darth Vader, and he's just going, no! That's, you know, I wish it left off the breathing. This is the first time that we see him back in, what, 20-something-odd years? This is fresh Vader. And it is, in that moment, I remember being kind of blown away. And a hush fell on the crowd. Even all of us kind of recognizing the no part was bad. You're still seeing new Vader for the first time. You're hearing him. And it was pretty amazing to see this. My favorite dark side moment is near the end of the movie when... Anakin has been finally turned into the Darth Vader that we know from the original trilogy with his robot suit and all of that. And he's asking about Padme and Palpatine tells him, it seems in your anger, you killed her. And he just breaks off his braces and all of, and shatters all of the weird Empire equipment around him and stuff. And he goes, no! It's like... Finally, Hayden Christensen figured out how to emote. But to be honest, like you definitely get the feeling behind that line. And it's not the case with all of the lines of dialogue in this movie. And then you have quite a bit of like bookkeeping parts of the movie. So, you know, you're entering into that denouement right before that musical end. But they do a pretty good job of, again, not necessarily bad fan service. You get your blockade runner more. You get to see those interior sets. You get to see how all these characters are being placed into the right locations for the original series. And they're more or less effective. And you even get that maybe raises more questions than it should. Part about Obi-Wan learning one last lesson from Qui-Gon about joining the Force. And it's a pretty thrilling moment of the end of the dialogue there. And then you go into the absolutely epic final musical crescendo montage element that you just always knew was coming and you were looking forward to here. And then we get all this montage of kind of how the galaxy is reacting um, to everything that's happened. We see Padme's funeral. You get the Vader overlooking the Death Star. And again, we haven't seen the Death Star in forever. It was amazing seeing that in its earliest form. Um, we see uh, Organa, that's his name, Bail Organa taking Leia to his wife because they've always wanted to adopt a baby girl. Okay, so for minor characters in this, I think they'll go with the Organas. It was nice to see the Organas because obviously we know what happens in the next movie. So it was nice to put a face to them and to actually see a little bit of Alderaan too. Favorite minor character in the movie has got to be Bail Organa. 
he's a really key figure in the overall story and unfortunately he is a minor character i feel like he should have been a main character throughout this entire trilogy but at least he has a cameo in rogue one so i guess that kind of made up for it a little bit you get to see alderaan which is cool and kind of heartbreaking there because everybody knows what happens to that and then at the very end you see uh, obi-wan kenobi delivering uh, little baby luke to baru aunt baru uh on tatooine and then a really amazing way to end this trilogy is reinvoking what was i think for my money the most iconic imagery in the original trilogy and that's looking out onto the double sunset with the iconic score hitting all at the same time that double sunset on tatooine was mm. and she takes her out to to uncle owen who's standing on the edge of the settlement looking out at the twin sons and you just hear the music you hear the the theme that plays when luke's looking at the twin sons it really wrapped up in all the best ways calling back to the original in a way that you're not embarrassed to go back and compare these two gosh darn it y'all if it didn't make me tear up i know that this is not the best movie in the franchise but there's a lot that i really like about about revenge of the sith and that ending it did it for me uh I teared up and I was I'm I, I want to finish recording so that I can go get the stuff done that I need to get done today and then I can go watch Star Wars episode 4 A New Hope because that twin sun music did it to me. You're tying off these loose ends pretty effectively and satisfyingly through this and it's just effortlessly leading it into A New Hope. Okay, I'm going to throw this out there. I've heard a lot of people give this film crap over the years, and I'll be honest with you, I absolutely bloody love this film. As a film, and as a Star Wars film, this is one of the best. I just think it's fantastic. I think it's an absolute great romp from beginning to end. It's an intensely emotional movie, it's extremely violent, and I feel like this could honestly be the only prequel. My dream prequel would always be... First act, Phantom Menace. Second act, Attack of the Clones. Third act, Revenge of the Sith. Maybe you could stretch Revenge of the Sith a little over the second act, too. I know that George Lucas kind of put himself in a corner with the whole New Hope episode 4 thing where he had to make three before this. But I think if you're just going to watch one of them, this should be the one that you check out. Hanging out with the friends afterwards, you know, this was a pretty long Star Wars movie, I believe, at the time. Starting at midnight or whatever i remember being around four in the morning something like that being in a common room that one of my friends had access to in one of the apartment complexes on campus hanging out with them playing pool for quite a long time that night and just talking about this movie although it's far from perfect in fact i could go on for longer than the movie's runtime about all the weird choices or missed opportunities at the same time there's also so much to love about this entry i might even rank it slightly higher than return of the jedi which is a very solid movie but very flawed in its own right for all their flaws the prequels really do a good amount of world building you could argue that the execution in some cases could have been a lot better but when you really boil it down like every franchise kind of has entries like this 
I like to use uh, the original Star Trek series as a good example because as iconic as that series was and it really laid the foundation for everything that came after it, there was a lot of great stuff there, but most Star Trek fans, myself included, will tell you that 90% of the episodes of that original show were not that great, but the good ones really make it all worth it. So I think in this, the prequels can be kind of thought of in several different ways. You had Phantom Menace being kind of that lovable loser, so bad it's good movie. Attack of the Clones, unfortunately, was very boring. And then you have Sith. Here, I think the best way to kind of wrap up this movie in like the quickest, most succinct way is that it was cool. It might not always be like a great written movie or even performed still is an issue in it. But again, it had so many like cool moments, cool environments, cool action, kind of a really, for the most part, like crescendoing ending to it that you left this going. Well, you know, if you can look at this coldly and analytically, it might not be that great. But damn, this was a cool movie. So I feel like Obi-Wan Kenobi, he like really carries the heart of this movie. Um, I, I hadn't seen it in a while. And watching this, knowing that we've got an Obi-Wan Kenobi like sequel series coming up. I don't know if I want to see it. He's just going to be sad. Like so much bad stuff happens in this to him and like all of his friends die. Uh, he very nearly has to kill his brother who is basically dead. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't know if I want to just see Obi-Wan Kenobi in pain for, you know, like, I don't know, six episodes, six hours of film, however long it's going to be. Now, returning back to that scene of him in the opera, another element that I really love and I think we need to kind of appreciate is that if you get really hard and critical look at it, how much of these prequels do as does anybody want to acknowledge as being canon in the new movies? Probably not a whole heck of a lot, but if you look at fan speculation and if the new movies, the people in control want to kind of legitimize these previous ones, this might be the scene in which they do it because the emperor is coming back and he talks about this Plagueis and everybody leading up to the first two movies is Snoke. Plagueis. How does Plagueis fit into this? Is Plagueis still alive? Is the Emperor still alive? Apparently in some way he is. So this is the most important scene probably. It's not the coolest. Kids might get bored at it or something. But it might be one of the most relevant to the movie that we're all going to go see in a couple months. This is my favorite of the prequels. I know we try to keep it pretty positive on Podcasters Assemble, but I'm not a huge fan of Episode 1 or Episode 2. I think that probably came across a little bit when I was on the Phantom Menace episode. But this movie, I think, is a good, solid film with great relationships, great characters, and it really plays like a Shakespearean tragedy in parts. And I'm not just saying that because of the weird Shakespearean romantic acting that Episode 2 and this one really love to hammer home. I think that's just because... Episode 1, everyone's saying, don't introduce Anakin, don't do this, he's psychotic, this is a terrible idea. Episode 2, okay, no, you know what, he's, he's a fine Jedi, he knows what he's doing, and this is just corruption, and he basically becomes Space Hitler, and that's, that's a pretty catastrophic thing, so... 
that is tragic in every sense of the word. This whole movie isn't. In fact, I would say the whole saga is. It's all about the past and not being able to let go of the past. And I think that actually translates into the filmmaking quite well when you really think about it. But maybe they will save that for the Force Awakens episode. So I love this movie. I know people hate the prequels as a whole, but I think this movie really holds up. And it might be my favorite Star Wars movie. Podcasters Assemble, probably, Season 2, The Rise of Podcast, is a production of the We Can Make This Work, Probably, Podcast Network. This episode edited and produced by Turtle Power. Find more of our shows at probablywork.com and learn how to contribute to future episodes of Podcasters Assemble, Probably, by looking us up on Twitter at Casters Assemble. Submissions are always open. Thank you to everyone who was able to contribute to this episode. Be sure to check the show notes for links to places where you can find them all online. Podcasters Assemble probably will return in... Star Wars Episode Four: A New Hope. Some number of years ago, I had just quit this job where I was just a burnt-out shell of my former self. Uh, so Anakin's condition at the end of the movie is a big mood. Uh, and I had this exit, this exit interview, and the last question was, would you consider returning to this company if a position were available? And... I responded to it with a link to the four-second YouTube clip of the No! I had never seen episode three, but now I, I, I love that line all the more. <laughs> and obviously, you know... Oh, my cat. Please, no, leave me alone. No, you've been fed already. Please, leave me alone. Thank God. All right. Um, yeah.